Alex, welcome to the podcast, The Strong Startup. We're delighted to have you here. Um, I We had the pleasure, uh, uh, not not a recorded version, but we had the pleasure of having you at one of the events with Untenembatoon, where I work with Hack and Talk. And I think that that presentation that you gave was very, very interesting. You gave a little bit of like an insight into behind the scenes of venture capital and uh, how these firms operate. And there were some very interesting, surprising aspects uh, that I think shocked some of the audience because everyone assumes that the people with the money um, have these amazing structures and processes in place, which I'm sure some of them do. But um, yeah, we'll get to that a little bit later where you'll give us a little bit of insights about how you, I suppose, help uh, people to set up um, uh, investment funds for, for startups and VCs like that. But maybe just to kick things off, um, would you like to give a little introduction about who Alex is and uh, what is your role in the in the VC world? Sure, um, yeah, with pleasure. So, Alan, thanks for having me. Um, well, my, my personal background has been actually in German politics and finance. Uh, I was running for state parliament in Dynat Falls, where I'm originally from. Um, was relatively young involved at that time. I was 18 actually when I did that. Um, however, one step at a time led me then from politics away to, um, well, to the academic world actually. Um, so, so I was working, uh, doing my PhD in uh, the south of France in Aix-Marseille. I was working then for Richard Freeman at the Harvard University at a project for the European Commission, um, actually about employee stock ownership. Um, and that was really the connecting point for me from um, finance, politics to the startup world. As uh, one of the uh, topics I was researching at that time is if you're giving your employees shares of the company, how it affects the company performance. Um, I won't give you here too much insights on that. That's an own talk for itself. Um, yeah, I, I, might, I might have a question because it's like the number one thing for like startup that it will start to get employees, but maybe we save it for a separate podcast. We'll see. <laughs> I can ask it maybe later. But like just to give you the, the rough introduction. Um, and as I was living in, in New York, going back and forth between uh, Boston and New York most of the time, I came across a lot of very interesting startup models and ideas in the US. So I came back with some uh, in my mind and was considering selling them up uh, uh, in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came back in that case to Monaco where I was living before the time I moved to the US. And um, Monaco is probably not seen as the startup hub of Europe or in the world even. Um, so I was like looking a little bit around and uh, trying to, to see how the ecosystem here is. And I realized there were a couple of startups around there. And one thing led to another, I see you drinking coffee. So actually I was having a coffee with one of the founders. Um, just wanted to understand their experience of the ecosystem here locally. And instead of finding out only about the startup ecosystem, I came out of that uh, being like one of the founding employees of that, oh, wow. that company. So I was uh, really myself on the startup side that I was like a travel tech startup at that time, um, which fits also to the location here. Yeah, besides yeah. Monaco being famous for the uh, yachting and all the stereotypes, you know, out in the, <laughs> the society, TV shows and so on. Yeah. And, um, and Monaco is very strong in the, the travel industry. A couple of cruise ship lines are having their headquarters here. Um, uh, Amadeus, which is um, the travel tech software company, is based in Sofia Antipolis, which is very close by. So 
or actually Sophia Antipolis, which is close by Nice, um, it, it was an attempt by the French government to build like a, a European Silicon Valley. Um, wow, I didn't know that. I don't want to judge if it worked very well or not, but it happens that there are a couple of business schools and some uh, tech engineering type of universities, which are combined and they're very cool in, uh, initiatives. And a couple of startups are locally based here, and some of the bigger ones like uh, Amadeus, uh, etc., are also based here. So, so basically, every time you're booking online a hotel or a flight, it essentially goes 99% of the time through their software. Wow, that's very interesting. Uh, is that that's kind of the niche, I suppose, of your region, right? In Monaco and the surrounding region is travel, right? Travel tech. Exactly. That, 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 that's one of the niches. Then Monaco as well has like like a very strong focus of uh, in, in the space of, let's say, um, uh, circular economy, renewable energies, that sort of thing. So uh, Monaco has an accelerator as well um, called Monaco Tech. I was actually there with a startup for, for a while. Um, and, and I remember like some of the startups locally there were uh, uh, startups which developed like a, a new sewage system for hotels actually um that sort of thing or um another one was uh, building like a first electric boat or a hydrogen powered boat so so there, there were like uh, first attempts in that space um which is quite uh, quite interesting and there are events around it like the um I, I don't know the exact name but like basically there's a boat race only with electric solar-powered boats. Um, wow. Universities from around the world are actually participating there. That bring the boats here. So, so it's actually yeah, a very unique type of uh, environment in that sense. But, um, but it's very nice because it's also like somehow a small place. So you get very mm -hmm. quickly connected to a number of people who are active in that space. Of course, it's not like, uh, I don't know, Silicon Valley, yeah, London, uh, Berlin, uh, where you have uh, thousands and millions of people in that industry. Here it's much more, uh, much smaller, but therefore you get, on the other hand, like way closer contact to, to yeah. a number of It's a people. better community, right, in that sense. Exactly. So, so that, 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 that's, um, that's one of the nice things around the year. And, um, but then, well, what, what happened was to come back to my original story, how did I get from, let's say, the startup side now to the venture capital side, which was probably one of the misperceptions which most uh, entrepreneurs have thinking or the founders of startups, that um, it's much more stable to be on the financing side of startups. Uh, <laughs> moving to the VC side, I, I was getting married around that time. I'm uh, the, the startup was doing okay. I was working with, um, but I thought like my next challenge would be going back to actually what I was originally doing mm -hmm. and helping other startups the, um, to grow because I was always curious about way more things than only one startup, um, and I thought that's a great way to combine that. So on the one hand. And let's say a little bit like a financial stability more, but at the same time, being able to work with various startups and experiencing what they are actually doing, uh, I found that was like a very nice, let's say, challenge and opportunity. It's also but, a luxury that we have. I mean, I, I work as a startup coach and it's one of the reasons I love it is because you get a chance to see 
a lot of different startups. Um, you're not involved directly with them necessarily, but you get the kind of uh, uh, nice perspective on the different types of business models and challenges and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Exactly, absolutely. So, so uh, I mean, I was working with like uh, really like interesting companies which were doing like farming systems for sub-Saharan Africa. So I can tell you now what are the uh, the, the seasons or where you have the highest blueberry price. Really <laughs> random knowledge it could be like like with a, a how is the TV show called uh, trivia, right, or something? No, like the, who's the next millionaire? No, like uh, oh, who uh, wants to be a millionaire, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's kind of the the one million dollar question. <laughs> yeah, next time I have a local pub quiz, if there ever is another one because of COVID, I'll, I'll invite you in. Here's <laughs> yeah. a lot of general knowledge. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's like really like general, but also sometimes with random knowledge. But it's very exciting to, to learn about this. Then on the other hand, you learn about what the advantages and disadvantages, like I spoke before, hydrogen versus electric type of mm. boats are. Um, uh, so, so you are learning about various sectors and various industries and um, what might be useful, what might not be useful and for mm. what reasons. Um, so that, that, that's a very um, exciting position to be in. So that's why I chose then in the end to be really on the venture capital side. And uh, yeah, and as you know, I like to have my fingers in many things. Yes. So what, what happened was that actually then I started working with a number of venture capital firms. Um, and I realized there, there are certain patterns also repeating, which was, was um, some are doing very well, some are very established, they exist since 10, 20 years, and maybe some are derived from even a um, some financial institution, bank, uh, uh, so, so they have like a very strict, let's say, infrastructure in place. But some others are also like uh, so-called single GPs or smaller GPs or general partners um, in a fund, which are often two, three guys, maybe even sometimes a single guy starting a fund. Um, yeah. uh, and then and they are not necessarily always the, 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 the structures in place. and. I, uh, and they definitely have a certain knowledge of what they are doing. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing that. So, for say, it, they, that is it. But often, like what what is like kind of let's say a little bit lacking, is to have the full picture of everything. Like they are coming with like a certain knowledge, either let's say from um, um, the financial industry, so mm-hmm. they have been, have been working for like one of the big investment banks, and because of that, they know how to analyze companies. How to pick stocks, uh, also maybe in the private equity space, it's been working. So they kind of understand how to analyze a balance sheet. They believe to understand and how the entire due diligence and paperwork, the lawyers, all that stuff works. But the startup world is not that organized that you can just plug and play that <laughs> not very organized environment, uh, working with that. Uh, or oh, that very organized environment with this unorganized environment. Yeah. Plus, those guys are often also used to having that infrastructure, which suddenly is gone. So they yeah, it's like a culture to, shock, right? Almost need to work on that side, or vice versa. That's the other typical case how people are entering the VC space is that they have been on the startup side, maybe have been exiting a, a yeah. major company, had an IPO, maybe sold it to Google. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, whatever there the scenario is, 
is um, actually one guy who is also participating in my book, which is coming out about how to run and manage a venture capital fund. He's one of the guys uh, who built a unicorn in Germany yeah, um, in the fintech space. I don't know if I'm saying too much now, but it's a fintech starting in with the uh, with the letter C. Um, it's Nicely German, uh, ambiguous. Based <laughs> uh, out of Munich, as far as I know. So, um, anyways, is uh, that's the little spoiler. So, oh, <laughs> details nice. in the book. But um, uh, so, so they, they are coming from a very different angle because they know the entrepreneurial world. They understand and what great technologies are, how to scale a business, how to build a business, understanding mm. what a team is, understanding like how teams are working together. Um, and they, they can ask the right questions of like, who is the product owner? Who is doing in the team the marketing? Uh, how is the marketing done? Is that scalable? Um, understanding the right KPIs. So they really have their the focus on. But on yeah. the other hand, they, they might be lacking a little bit the financial knowledge on how to mm. run a fund, how to to put all that what needs to be put in place. Like, what's the infrastructure? How do I register it? What, what's even the company uh, uh, form? Like in Germany, you know, most startups they are starting as maybe like a small registered uh, sole trader. Then when they're getting slightly bigger, they they become a GmbH. Also, mm -hmm. when they get like one or the other, like maybe investor into it, but. Uh, um, yeah, but, but like to run a fund, it, it, it's a way more complex structure. In, in Germany, it would be typically like a Bafin regulated GmbH and co-KG, um, mm. which is representing actually that what I mentioned before, the general partner, which is really, let's say, running the day-to-day -day operations of the fund. And then in the English speaking world, the limited partner, which is basically the investor behind the fund or the investors behind the fund who are basically structured there as the guys putting into the money, really, which the fund yeah. is investing. And that brings me actually to the next point, and which is like, okay, people are investing money into a fund, but why would they invest into the fund? And here, that's now my favorite topic coming up. They probably exactly. forget that part as a, as someone that wants to create a VC. They probably forget that they also have to fundraise and kind of as as a startup, you need to pitch and prove that you can make use of that money in, in, a, in a productive way, right? Exactly. Even startups have it sometimes easier because they can build like a tiny prototype and people see, oh yeah, okay, that's what it's about. I kind of get that. But like showing someone, I'm like, um, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just someone who thinks that I can raise now a hundred million from you um, and I manage your hundred million to invest it in other startups. That's not like an easy sale actually. So you need yeah. to really convince people, why would I give you those hundred million? And keep in mind like hundred million here doesn't mean that you're running a hundred million operation. Ideally your, your fund should scale in, to be investing in like a number of unicorns. So essentially the the money value you're running here is not only anymore 100 million, but it gets into like several unicorns, hence several billion, where you are becoming a shareholder of. So people need to really put a trust into you to give you that sort of money. 
Yeah, and or, they're kind of you, investing in an idea, essentially, right? That because as you said, there's no prototype unless they've invested before. Perhaps there's no like track record. There's no like tangible thing that they can point to to say, "Look, we can do it." Right? Exactly. There, there are two ways of building a track record. One would be you are working before in a fund. Mm. But, but then again, you had a team around you, so it's hard to say that it was really you who did it. Mm. And then the other thing is like, well, you can say, well, I've been working for Goldman Sachs, or I've been like uh, the foundering guy of a startup, which was at Y Combinator, etc. Those are great, great stories, but but still, there, there there needs to be quite a lot of trust still put into you. Yeah. So that, that that's not easy, and building there like really. A convincing let's say value proposition mm. which goes both ways by the way a for the investor putting money in the fund but also then using that money to put it in the most successful startups mm. most successful startups and not easy yet to get as well as not the money for the fund is not easy to get so you need to really convince your two sides to work with you it's like a double-edged and- sword right in that sense Sorry? It's like a double-edged sword, right? So it's just pain points exactly. on both ends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so you really need to deal with both sides. And on top of it, like also when you mentioned the, the let's say the track record before, like um, often like first-time funds, they, they are rather uh, raising only, let's say, 10, 20, 30, maybe in the best case, 50 million. Hmm. Um, so when you're raising only that amount of money, you're typically you're more at the seed or series A stage investing. Yeah. Um, but like when you're like becoming a bigger fund manager, because it's also in your interest only as a fund manager to build a bigger fund. Um, yeah, and like take the pre-seed or the seed teams and be able to finance series A or part of it, right? But the problem is there are different economics playing than a mm. role. You might have been great because you've picked through, for example, Unternehmertum, the top startups earning around the university yeah, of the technical university of munich yeah. but uh, maybe at some point you raised so much money because you had a great first time or second time fund now the third time fund you're raising 100 to 200 million well you need uh, either a lot of manpower to find all those startups but probably yeah. you cannot find the, those startups because there are not that many startups yes. out there yeah, yeah like which are worthwhile giving like those amounts of money. Of course. So, so, so you're getting into a dilemma. So you need to invest in later stage uh, startups. Mm-hmm. Um, For so bigger ticket sizes, basically, right? Exactly. With bigger tickets. Um, however, then you're getting into the dilemma that there are, again, other economics, other revenue streams, other valuations. Yeah. You're competing suddenly with other funds. If you're going to really late stages, you're competing with Sequoia, Peter Thiel, et cetera. Yeah, the so big boys. Major names in the market. Um, so so it, it's not an easy game here, which people often underestimate. And I'm just mm. thinking, hey, those are like some guys, wealthy boys, playing golf. Uh, <laughs> Taking it easy. <laughs> um, and it, like, like, it seemed like some cool ideas and just uh, putting money into it. Yeah, they're not doing. They're not doing the Tim Ferriss four-hour work week. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, unfortunately not. It might look like that to the outside, but yeah. in reality, it's not. Um, and, mm. and that industry is getting also bigger challenges. I mean, you might be familiar with like companies like Tiger Global, a hedge fund, where you don't know that much about it, but like they are just like 
buying up the market uh, at actually higher valuations than traditional investors just mm. to get into the market, but with a different strategy. Um, uh, just uh, speaking now of later stage, for yeah. example, what Tyler uh, Global is doing, they're saying, well, um, we know there's an IPO coming in the next half a year to a year. We are expecting a, a two to five times multiplier here. Yeah, like in, in terms of return. And so we have no problem to overpay as long as we get in every deal. We might not make like a typical VC type of return. We might be actually making a lower VC type of return. But by the, the quantity we are doing it, we are outperforming every Sequoia out there in the world. And, and now suddenly like the Sequoias of this world, like the top tier VC funds are suddenly in a new situation that what they never had. They are suddenly like, player from not exactly their market uh, like which comes from an edge fund market which yeah. is very data driven very uh, speed driven very scientific oriented um investing in a very streamlined way like that due diligence takes uh, for a deal less than a week um type of thing so it's uh, Crazy. Uh, and they are signing tickets like 100 million plus type of ones and wow. so we're like a let's say an angel investor it takes a uh, half a year to to write a check about 10k or 20k <laughs> they are doing 100 million and plus is less than a week um, just by having streamlined efficiencies so it's kind of like a top-down approach right that they they're willing to take the cut because the return comes much quicker the risk obviously is technically lower you could say right because it's the fact that it's a successful company already and they can feel that the ipo is coming um and i guess sequoia and all these other uh, investors like peter thiel they're they're really playing the long game right so they're doing a higher risk but at a much earlier stage with lower ticket size and, and would you say that the economics um uh, is like that between someone that starts to invest in like series B, C, and D versus someone that does maybe pre-seed and seed, meaning that the the potential of return will always be a little bit less if you invest in, uh, say, a series A, B, or C compared to when you invest in, say, a seed? No, it's actually the opposite. Normally, typically, the, uh -huh. the returns are higher as earlier you invest into the startup. Is that based on the volume that the startup has survived for for that length of time that they're more likely to succeed beyond Series A and B? To be honest, now you're asking me something I don't have the statistics on. Hey, no worries, no worries. Just in general, where I have the statistics and the numbers in my head. So, so normally, um, uh, seed stage are way more profitable for an investor to invest there. Mm -hmm. The problem is that when I'm looking at those statistics, I'm looking at all the seed stage investments. Yeah. Now, a, a, a traditional seed stage investor doesn't have an extremely diversified portfolio. Mm. As he has a rather low diversified portfolio, he's putting himself at a higher risk again. Mm. While like, if you're going to a later stage, normally it's less profitable, but investors are assuming a lower risk because the startup has a proven track record. Yeah. Now, the, the problem here is uh, that actually there are statistics out there. If you're investing in later stages, the performance is relatively similar to investing in random stocks like DAX type of companies. Yeah, it sounded like that when you were talking about diversification of the portfolio, it sounded like a stock term almost. Yeah, or like a, yeah, index so, 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 so that's a little bit the dilemma a uh, venture capitalist has. 
where he needs to say, do I go into later stages, assuming I'm having a lower risk, but then also my upside is like probably very good still, but mm. it's not like as good as the early stages or going to the early stages, which I actually, from a financial point of view, way more interesting in but you need to have a very diversified portfolio and you might yeah. have manpower to do that. Then you can go to the extremely late stages, assuming you have a lot of money and you are a top tier investor because I was getting into those very late stage deals. Typically you need to be a relatively big fund because the ticket sizes are very high yeah. um, and still you need to have a good name typically behind you because- Yeah, I mean to get that money is, is hard, right? Exactly. So, 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 so it's not that you are necessarily just uh, because you are uh, a Russian oligarch that you get into like one of those late stage deals. Into how, how did you know, Alex? My wife is Russian. I'm connected to the old okay, okay. <laughs> I know what you mean, but yeah, good point. Yeah. So, 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 um, uh, so, so it's, it's not that easy to get into those, those deals. And I chose yeah. that example actually for a real case I, I know of somewhat on yeah. where that has been happening and that it's a family office in the end, but they want to get into those late stage deals. But then the, the, the founders of the startup, which are the, they're then saying, okay, should we take Exequoia, which we kind of know and it gives like yeah. kind of a proof, a stamp of approval. It's like Y Combinator, right? Everyone wants a little stamp on their, exactly. on their website. Exactly, taking money from someone nobody kind of knows in the industry. Yeah. Um, even though it might be a very respected person, I'm not saying something bad about it, but like, so, so it, it, it's here the question, whose money are you taking in that, that moment? Yeah. And why, right? Because sometimes it's more than just the money, right? You want the, the experience or the, the authority of the name or something. Yeah, you want that approval, uh, that stamp of approval, especially yeah. when we're going towards an IPO, which is then happening soon. So th those investors are investing in those late stages because actually, unlike normally the VC space, you have like five to 10 years, which you need to wait. If you're getting into a, at a later stage, you actually yes. have a higher liquidity because normally you're closer to an exit. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that's great for, from a point of view as an investor, you're steady, still getting a VC type of return, but yeah. uh, you don't need to wait that long. And, but you need to fulfill a lot of criteria to be accepted in those stages. But that yeah. makes those very late stages quite interesting because once the IPO has happened or the, the exit to a big company, the Google, whatever, then you're getting as the investor the cash back and you can reinvest. Hence, maybe also you're accepting the model of Tiger Global, slightly lower returns, but mm -hmm. you faster can reinvest your money. Yeah, hence, when you are just logged in for one year and you do only a two times multiplier is maybe yeah. more interesting. And if you do that every year, yeah, you get a experience is super than, high as well, right? Then being 10 years locked into a one investment yeah. where you get only, let's say, uh, eight to 10 times multiplier in your investment. Uh, so, so in that sense, you're seeing higher global is using the example of two times. Mm. Getting over ten years, twenty x, while the traditional VC investor would get actually only ten x over ten years, right? It's fascinating. So, so you can you can only do that, but when you're an organization like that that has that capital at hand, exactly. right? Yeah. Um, mm. so, so, but like to get there, and now 
this talk a bit different than our last one. We're talking more about the late stage investors. Sure. Um, the early stage investors, um, they are often really operating very similar as a startup themselves. They need to build their business model. They need to get mm. proof of concept and they need to understand like, where do we get the money from? What's the yeah. right company structure and where are the startups we can invest in? Mm -hmm. And have there like a very clear value proposition, which is understandable for everybody. And that's normally what I'm also helping those um, those founders, founders of uh, venture capital firms with. The other founders. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they are still founders. Of course, like, of course. Uh, so, I, I would so, have a very interesting question for you, Alex, on that kind of earlier stage funding. So if you look at, uh, let's say, take out of the equation, the big dogs like uh, Y Combinator and uh, and Techstars that do this typical kind of 100, 150,000 investment at a very early stage, right? Um, beyond that, do you, do you think that incubators and accelerators that offer some form of investment, say whether it's 10K, 50K or 100K, I know of a, um, a um, incubator in around health based in um, in Berlin that do that. They, they, they give it like, I think it's a hundred thousand euro equity free investment. So that's a bit unusual for me just to give so much money with no equity. I don't know how the return works on that, but could you talk about uh, incubators and accelerators that give some amount of money in return for a small amount of equity? Do you believe that, that that business model can help them to be potentially profitable? Because I think from my experience, uh, you can really struggle as an incubator or an accelerator if you're trying to make a for-profit uh, version of that compared to uh, what Xpreneurs does, which is we don't take any equity, therefore we're funded mostly publicly uh, to, to support um, our team to be able to support the startup. So is that model profitable for incubators and accelerators that look to make a small investment at like pre-seed level almost, and then just pray and wait and hope that you get a, you get one unicorn that can kind of pay off in the future? Well, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of incubators and accelerators, um, and there are many which are doing it uh, for profit. There are mm. non-profit ones. There are even some others which are charging fees to the startups so that they can be part of it. I know a few companies doing that as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think it, it really depends. If you're asking me, is it pro good for the startups to be in an incubator or accelerator? I tend to say, in general, yes. Yep. Um, so, so th there are exceptions. Maybe if if you are like a third-time founder, I don't know if it's really that helpful going into an incubator. But then it depends also which incubator is uh, it is. And I don't want to yeah. say something bad about certain incubators, but I can say something good about other ones. Like, of course, there are certain incubators you just mentioned two names when you have that stamp of approval um well it helps you raise capital so you know, I, I would say it's worthwhile going through that yeah. process my, my, my uh, question was more on the operation end like because uh, so from the perspective of the incubator if because I, I that's what i want to do in the future i would like to create an incubator or maybe an accelerator and set it up myself and i would like to look at the potential option of investing in a few of those startups that go through my batch in the future right my first batch and um, from my perspective then uh, what would your what would your financial advice be like that's essentially like a family office right that's kind of how you would operate for those small 10,000 50,000 investments at a kind of a pre-seed stage right 
I, I would say um, to do it really profitable, um, in my opinion, the models which I've seen, which were working rather well, and yeah. some of them very well, uh, are the ones which use actually the incubator or the accelerator much more to, as a funnel uh, to really invest then in the top uh, yeah. the top startups out of the various batches. Or um, would that be like Antler, for example? Do you know Antler Launch Academy? I've been in touch with them, so I don't know precisely their model, to be honest. Yeah. But, uh, um, uh, just talking about like one way I cannot yet name the sure. the, the, the name, but I know it's something in progress. As um, it's in the U.S. Uh, Silicon Valley-based uh, venture capital fund, which has been doing typically, let's say, Series E, A, Series B, Series C type of investments. Um, so, so not really late, but a little bit later stage. But they are considering now. Uh, starting an accelerator slash very early stage VC type of program, yeah. which in the end is just for them a way to get access to those early deals to yep. be sure to be in the follow on rounds with with, uh, with their real VC firm in it. Yeah, uh, that that's model- actually exactly what Antler is. So they do like a, an open free online course. I think it's uh, like six weeks or something like that with a community. And then they can take the best talent and they do an actually a kind of like entrepreneurs first. They do an individual uh, acceleration program with individual entrepreneurs that find the team in the cohort. And then they take the best teams and then the actual main work of Antler is a VC. And um, so it's a little bit similar to startup school with Y Combinator that they have this free open platform. And I believe that the chances of you getting accepted into startup, uh, sorry, Y Combinator as a, as, a, as a batch is much higher if you go through startup school, for example. So I think there's a lot of VCs that are playing around with this model, right? To go a little bit earlier with educational kind of stuff or incubators. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly the case. Yeah. Uh, so, well, that that's probably where the real business model is lying in. Mm. But then the, the question is like, uh, if you would ask me you now as a, a VC type of consultant, uh, chicken and the egg story. So, so you can start, of course, your VC fund if you're capable of raising that, say, fifty million fund. Yeah. Uh, and then you 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 start as the second step, the accelerator. Uh, uh, or the incubator with some of the money, yeah, which will obviously attract a lot of startups to come mm. because they know there is like serious funding coming in the follow-on yeah. round to do it. So that has a, the advantage of like you're more capable of attracting very good startups to come to you. Now, on the other hand, getting those 50 million is not easy uh, to, to run your first one or two type of VC funds. So you can go also the other way saying, okay, we are starting an accelerator, but we don't have yet the the follow on fundings. This was going to be my approach, Alex. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's probably also the more logical one, but it's still like a chicken in the egg story. So how do you make sure you get the right uh, startups into your portfolio so that you're building a track record that with that track record, you can later go to some family offices or institutional investors and say, Hey, now we are setting up a VC fund, which will invest in the, the best firms or the startups coming out of my accelerator. Because then yeah. when, when you have like, say a unicorn, two or three even better coming out of your accelerator program, hey, like the, 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 the LPs, the, the investors in the fund, 
will be just waiting for you because they know yeah. you're creating like really the best startups um, there. So that's a bit like the chicken and the egg story where you probably need to decide where to start with. Yeah. And probably the better way is starting on the side of, hey, first let's source the, the, um, the right startups. They go with me or with your program through a process. And then uh, you are building on top of that like some sort of VC fund. Yeah, perhaps sort of a strategic partnership with a smaller micro VC or something that is looking to exactly. get a really good deal flow or something, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. At the beginning, like, well, you can develop, for example, in general partnerships with mm. some angel associations, angel investors. Uh, you can have, like, partnerships with even though some bigger VC funds. Uh, like, I mean, all what you need is that, that they agree to screen the, the startups coming out of. Exactly. I mean, you're essentially doing a pre-screening for them, kind of, and then you kind of give them the cream of the crop, right? Yeah. So uh, um, then you are still offering those startups like a, let's say, a certain value, like similar as actually White Combinator does with their yeah. pitch day at the end or pitching days at the end. So um, you just make sure that there are some startups which will make it to the pitching day yeah. typically the best ones out of the batch and you're inviting like some of the vcs to that day to yeah yeah see those uh, those presentations makes sense i think that's why they do like 150 startups as part of their batch right why combinator so they have like a high volume because there's always going to be a percentage that won't make it or something will happen so yeah cool very interesting so um i'd love to change um not change topic, but to, to shift into a parallel lane, if you if you want to call it that way, because you're also an author. So I think people have, have not been introduced to the author that is Alex Kern. So um, yeah, maybe you want to introduce people a little bit to your book. So my, my question to you, I don't, I don't want to give it away. So so maybe you can introduce the book first of all, and then I would ask a question or two if you don't mind. Uh, okay, then, then I'm starting almost like a pitch, like what, what was the problem which I was really solving. Yes, my book. yes. Um, and the real problem I had was I have a daughter who's around about two years now old. Um, and uh, I, I, I love my daughter, obviously. And I'm sitting there in the evenings and reading sometimes now in the summer in the south of France, Christmas type of books, because that's the book which is like on top of the shelf. <laughs> and, and, and like, I mean, it's a two year old daughter, so she still loves the story around it. But like, as me telling the story, I felt very little relationship to actually what I'm telling her. Yeah. So uh, the, the problem which I'm solving here is maybe much more psychological for me, was to tell my daughter in a kids friendly way, a fairy tale which is something which I can relate to, but also which later when my daughter gets a little bit older, she can relate to in a way that she starts envisioning what her father is actually doing. Yeah. So here it comes. So I developed actually like a, a kid's book. Here it is, the unicorn ring, um, which is, um, uh, yeah, children's book, um, which was probably happening a little bit as a side project during COVID time, uh, times, but- You had a very productive COVID period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And basically the, the story is about, about the wise unicorn. Obviously in uh, startup world, the unicorn is all thing which all the startups want to achieve. Of course. And uh, various creatures from 
all around the world, animals, uh, birds, elephants, uh, bears are coming and basically telling their story to the unicorn how to make it a better world. And the unicorn, um, in a magical way, picks one of the stories and goes then into the deep forest to develop actually with that animal together the uh, that, that idea which is supposed to make the world a better place. Wow, and that's cool. In the end, that's the story of, of actually the VC world as I see it, just in a, a more children's friendly way, because that's what I really also personally believe in. And startups are there to make the world a better place. Investors are there to help those startups get the financial means to grow their business. Mm. And ultimately, yeah, everybody should benefit out of that. All the stakeholders of the business. So the customers obviously should benefit from the product. And so in that case, also as in the unicorn ring book, but people who are basically becoming then the customers basically, or like the ones benefiting out of uh, the fruits of, of those developments. Yeah. And then of course, the, the the animal which is really developing the idea should benefit out of it as well as well as then the unicorn or the investor um, which also financially benefits out of that business so it's really about creating here a win-win-win situation between mm. the involved parties and i try to like visualize that in a in a simple child-friendly way uh, and yeah that's how we did it basically that's super cool so it's an illustration book right uh, yeah, exactly. a story written through it like book. in the end it's rather so little text uh, i don't know if you can tell you oh, that's it. beautiful they're always like a few lines text and that's um, cool. Uh, my, my daughter is only four months old at this particular time of recording, but uh, I'll definitely, I'll definitely have that on the shelf to be able to introduce it to her. You see, like some of the oh, angles. Cool. Uh, so, yeah. So, so the illustrations are actually very lovely. Um, uh, I have to admit, I didn't draw them, but like <gasps> spoiler. I, uh, but but I helped deeply with it, uh, how it was supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, I mean, the story is something that has to pull it together, right? I mean, this is the foundation of the book is the story, right? And then you you uh, can get a strategic partnership with someone to be able to help you to bring it to life visually. It's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that was like one of my real side projects um, besides like my other side projects which are generally media around uh, uh, yeah, around the venture capital space as well as uh, as i mentioned before i'm working right now on a more serious type of uh, venture capital book um, with really some extremely prominent people i don't want to um, drop yet all the names but uh but we'll uh, definitely do another podcast like i mean when you're ready to launch that would be fantastic to get a few insider tips from for you alex so it, it, it's on it's on vcs right how to build a vc how, or how to build a vc firm but so like uh, and how to run it but it's not exclusively for like future fund managers or current mm -hmm. fund managers but also for actually startups to understand the logics and the thinking of a venture capitalist um, because of course if you understand how venture capitalist thinks and how their day-to-day -day business works mm. you can optimize your pitch towards that those needs and way easier attract like really the capital you are expecting to get because in the end everybody is kind of lazy and if you make their life easier by understanding how they are working 
um, then uh, then you will be on top of their investment list as a result of it as well. So yeah. it's really both sides which are or both parties in that case benefiting out of that. Um, yeah, that well, fingers crossed we get that soon because I'll also be very fascinated to read that and to understand more. I don't have as I have contact with investors like yourself and other people that we work with at uh, Explorers Incubator, but having an opportunity to really understand from the inside looking out, you know, how it operates and why. I think that's the classic thing with startups, right? To understand and have empathy for your customers. So there's a new one. You have to have empathy for your investor as well. So <laughs> I think that book would be very interesting. So I'm looking forward to that one. And um, would you would you care to share a little bit of information about like the process? Because I think you, you said you started the, that book first and I think you're going to definitely, definitely going to get the Father of the Year Award for like publishing a whole book just for your daughter and what you do, what daddy does, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, was it was it a relatively easy process for you to, to be able to publish that book? Because we're thinking about doing something similar maybe with the strong startup as well at some well, point. Well, I mean, I, I, I've been learning a lot throughout the process. Yeah. I definitely did a couple of mistakes. Um, there, uh, like for the Unicorn Ring uh, book, uh, I did like, went through like a very traditional, let's say self-publishing process cool. on uh, Amazon and Lulu. Um, uh, anybody who's interested in that uh, should definitely have a look into how self-publishing works. Um, Great. And well, would you would you recommend it for something like that book that you published? Like, uh, is it relatively simple simple process to be able to go through? Yeah, it, it's not rocket science, so okay. it takes some effort, but but uh, but it's it's a relatively simple one. And for for that, what I wanted to to achieve with it, it worked for me well. Like, I mean, I was not aiming here to write the next Harry Potter type of book. So um, in that case, it, it worked for me. Even though meanwhile, afterwards, I'm thinking, I actually, yeah, I believe in that the core story of it works very well. And I'm mm-hmm. already thinking of like, actually, there, there could be like a, a theme coming out of it because yeah. also the idea is developed, what happens kind of next. So there, there are yeah. future ways to look at like uh, other stories to be built around. Could be a whole business model here around like uh, an animated uh, YouTube channel full of unicorns and animals about startups. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you never know what might be coming out of it. By yeah. the way, the book is on YouTube uh, with uh, a beautiful voiceover by an American artist. So, uh, oh, wow. Okay. I'll, I'll make sure to put the link. I didn't realize that. That's so cool. Then I'll yeah, check it out. They can share the link later with you, but it's, it's actually really nice. Um, I'm really glad you did that. It's like so important because, you know, I find with my daughter as well, we, we try not to do it at all. But sometimes when she's when she's completely wild in the evening, we, we flick on like a nice uh, you know, children's cartoon or something and they, they really love it. So then imagine for your two year old daughter, it's also something nice to, to watch it. Right. Come alive. Yeah, exactly. so, so there you see that I'm not totally from the writing world. My book has a QR code. <laughs> You're too cool. It's also an NFT, right? I mean, it's, it's like thinking a little bit also with like even a kid's book like that out of the box, but parents need. And like I, yeah. I am a father, so I know exactly where I'm coming from. So yep. I might be reading the book, but like it gets boring at some point. So actually it's nice to scan simply the QR code and yeah. you get 
the story, the animation of it. So, so it's actually yeah. nice to link those two things together. 100%. And actually, most of the books that I read now, I'm reading one called Superfans by Pat Flynn, who's a famous YouTuber, uh, smartpassiveincome.com. And, and he does the same thing. He has a course that accompanies for free his book, which is like a really cool idea. So it's the same concept that you're doing. You have you know the book, which serves a really nice purpose. And then you have the, the bonus free feature of like having it uh, in a YouTube video as well. It's amazing. It's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. So, so that, that's the idea of it. By the way, the book is out there in six languages. Wow, you um, already have it in six. Jeez, okay. Yeah, so German, French, Spanish, English, Mandarin, and I'm thinking... You went for Mandarin as well. Nice, you hit the Chinese market. It's, it's cool. the biggest market in the world. Like, yeah, you'd be, stupid, you'd be not stupid not to, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so I mean, uh, I thought when I'm doing that, then I at least go like for uh, at least like some of the major languages around the world. Of course, of course. So, uh, um, I did that as well. Uh, and yeah, so, so I published a book in Mandarin now. <laughs> amazing, amazing. I love how your first book, but it's also like a children's book. I think that's so cool. I mean, it's just, you've already probably learned so much that's going to even help the other book that you're working on at the moment, right? Yeah. Even though it's probably not going to be self-published, but that whole process of how to launch it and everything and, I think it's like everything else. Like it's like nearly like a, your MVP in a way, right? You just get get it out there, get it published to a level that you're very happy with, and uh, something very special for your daughter. That's for sure. Exactly. So, so I learned a lot throughout the process, and and now like I probably won't go self-publishing the next book. Sure. But uh, but like it, it's just easier, you know. Like in the future, when someone tells you how to get an ISBN number, just looking at it. Yeah. Like, hey, I know how to get that and I can get it, it really quickly because I've seen like publishers making right now offers that they give you the all-inclusive package and they tell mm. you, that, and we'll get you an ISBN number and that we do basically for free in our overall package right now. Yeah, but like, honestly, I can get an ISBN number myself. I like, could imagine, yeah. For, for that, like, uh, uh, give me something more if you want me to go with you. Yeah. So, so, so uh, warnings to future authors to, to pay attention to this part of the podcast. <laughs> but I like that the, the, the core lesson, at least I would, the, one of the main takeaways I would get from this whole podcast just with you is that, you know, having the experience of going through it is probably like so valuable, right? It's just all about doing that. Like if you, if you had a weighted or whatever, it just, um, you probably never would have published it. Right. So just to, to go through that whole process, just get it done. Um, it's, uh, it's extremely valuable, just like a startup, right? <laughs> exactly. So exactly. yeah, it's exciting experience. <laughs> cool. Cool, it's fantastic. And it's available at the moment in those six languages. People can check it out on Amazon, right? Or is there a better website yeah, that we can send it On a number of platforms, you okay. can also get it through your local bookstores. So they, like, even if you get to go to your local shop, wherever in Munich, for example, yeah. they should be able to order it. But uh, yeah, for probably most people, the most convenient way is just ordering it on Amazon. Yeah, you get fantastic. it on pretty much, well, you get it on every the Amazon shop around the world, so ending.de.com.fr. Uh, so, and on each shop, you get it in the six languages. Cool. As, as hard and soft copy. So two different uh, prices. Nice. <laughs> 
That's amazing. No, no, I'll make sure to um, to also put the link to the to the Amazon link so they can check it out. And um, I just want to say thank you very much. I think we'll we'll finish up on that if it's okay, Alex. I don't want to take too much more of your time, but um, um, I really really enjoyed, particularly in the, the beginning of the conversation. It was a very interesting discussion when you kind of lifted up the lid a little bit on how these VCs operate and how things really really um, take place behind the scenes. I mean, personally for me, someone who wants to maybe create a, a micro VC in the future. Or or some kind of investment fund and definitely an incubator um i think it's been very valuable for me so it's kind of like a little bit of a coaching session so that was sticky but thank you very much and um, maybe just before you finish uh, how can people get in touch with you i know you're pretty big on on, on social media particularly on tiktok and uh, do you want to maybe share your um uh your, your username or how people can get in touch with you yeah so, so the, the two three ways to get with me in touch is through social media for example tiktok um uh, they are my, my username is X Capital uh, as my, my personal firm here. Um, uh, there I'm also talking a lot about like innovation, cryptocurrencies. Um, as you know, I have the, the most viewed video on cryptocurrencies on TikTok currently with almost 8 million views. That's crazy. Um, He's a real influencer, folks, so make sure to check him out. There are also other more traditional ways to get in touch with me simply through my website or still social media, LinkedIn. Um, yeah. Uh, just when you're contacting me, uh, at least I'd write a line or two so I know what it's about. Uh, that helps often in the connecting process. Um, and yeah, that's, I guess, the, the easiest ways to get in touch with me. Cool. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. So we'll put the links to your LinkedIn and different things so people can can follow you and maybe check out that. Uh, well, by now, it could be even 10 million, right? By the end of the podcast after we publish. So we'll see. <laughs> it's cool. Are you going to like create that into like an NFT or anything and then just have it hanging in your wall for one of your TikTok achievements? Well, uh, joking aside, it, it is out there uh, as an NFT. Uh, is it? Oh, wow. Yeah, so I created NFTs around it. Uh, uh, That's amazing. So, so you can check them out uh, as well. So you're going to be able to retire like next week, right, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I don't think I can get out of the NFTs. No, actually, what I did is, is I created them uh, for like 100,000 followers I got uh, as nice. a giveaway. Uh, That's cool. Uh, so so I did my, my let's say, most viewed video in a limited edition uh, to some of my most active followers. Wow, that's actually really cool. Giving back to the community, huh? Yeah, that was a, was a fun little thing. So that's why I like to try various things. So uh, if I talk about NFTs, I need to also understand what is in it and how to do it. Yeah, that was actually the reason you told me before, uh, you know, before this podcast about why you actually started TikTok as well, that if you're going to talk about social media and the importance of it or whatever, you should be in the game, right, in some way. <laughs> yeah exactly great Alex look thank you so much I really really appreciate your time uh, just for, for folks that are listening we'll probably do another podcast in the future about Alex's book and maybe even a deep dive just on blockchain um, that would be super curious to know how you set up that uh, with the NFT I really don't understand it um, and I haven't really jumped into it yet but um, discussing all of the up and coming promising things that I hear about blockchain that would be uh, definitely a standalone podcast that we can do it together in the future so um, thank you again please everyone make sure to check out his book on uh, on Amazon I'll make sure to share the links in the show notes and uh, Alex thank you very very much and have a have a fantastic day thanks again have a great day bye bye cheers <laughs>